Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I put in extra work that just can't be found. I took the sword out the stone, wasn't a thing. Look me in my eyes, cause I'm a king. Look me in my eyes, cause I'm a king. God made me punch in accurate numbers. My castle won't crumble. What I tackle will fumble. I've been a leader when they ain't see it, but now my feet is up. According to me, royalty didn't end with King Tut. Crown on my head, clouds is at my legs. Big says sky is the limit. I look down on the ledge. I push the bar like I'm opening the cell. Hands in my cookie jar, you won't come out with a single nail. I need all of mine. The weight of my shoulders won't fit on a scale. What's a king to a giant? Well, Goliath fell. Even if we playing chess, dog, this king can't be checked. I make all my moves on the board. I invented my steps. Uh-huh. I'm a king, the blood of a ruler. I feel like Mansa Musa. Make your squad disappear like landing by the Bermuda. Triangle, look at it from my angle. I'm a king, the closest thing to being one of God's angels. Yeah. I'm a king. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I put in extra work that just can't be found. I took the sword out the stone, wasn't a thing. Look me in my eyes cause I'm a king. Look me in my eyes cause I'm a king. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is the Code of Conduct for the King podcast. I am your host, Jay Spence the King, and I am excited. I'm back from vacation, and we are ready. We are ready for the month of April, where I'm going to be highlighting some people, some folks that I that I appreciate. And uh, for the first, the first, I guess the, I don't want to call it the the series, but I guess I can. The first episode of the series of the Buffalo Rumblings contributors. I got my man Scarecrow with me, man. What's going on? Oh, not a whole lot. Yourself, man. I'm 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 rested finally. I went on vacation last weekend. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so now um, I'm ready to get into the thick of things as far as like the draft and all this stuff, but. But uh, I'm excited to talk to you. And next week, I got Danielle joining me uh, from Buffalo Rumlin. She handles a lot of different things as far as like the um, I know she writes at times, but I know she also handles the socials. So, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of get her perspective on some things. But but this week, uh, you are one of the the premier writers for Buffalo Rumlins. And uh, pull that back a little just, bit, maybe <laughs> just back, scale it, yeah, scale it down back a bit. bit. Yeah. Okay, we'll tone it down. But I mean, you do amazing work. So <laughs> I'm you. I'm very happy to have you on, man. And I want to talk a little bit just about what you do for the network. Um, you know, Bills Mafia gets to enjoy a lot of the content that that you and and others like you put out on the website. But don't we don't really get a chance to put a face to the to the content. So uh, why don't you let everybody know first, like where they can find your content? Um, you know, your Twitter handle and all that good stuff, and then we'll get right into it. Yeah, so I mean, the, the easiest place to find me is BuffaloRumblings.com. Uh, you know, I, I'm intentionally a little bit of a shadow at times. I still operate under a pseudonym, which uh, not everybody does, even though you know my real name's out there. Um, YouTube, I'm starting to, to do some stuff on YouTube. Uh, Scarecrow13 uh, at Scarecrow13 with the handles, and I don't like to promote the Twitter because I don't stick to sports on that. So uh, if you don't want to see my political views or anything that are more personal, I'd avoid the social media aspect of what I do, but. Yeah, YouTube Buffalo Rumblings are the two places to go. Uh, yeah, I'm. I've gotten to the point now where I only talk sports really on there. I used to used to talk about some of everything. Now, every once in a while, I still talk a little bit of music and sure. stuff like that, you know. But but what I've learned from me is my my uh my peace of mind is a whole lot better when I uh when me and Bills Mafia can just get along about football and I don't right. have to talk about anything else. So I'm with you. I'm with you. So. Um, how long have you been writing for Buffalo Rumors? Oh, <laughs> that's tough. It, it's been a while. So I can say uh, uh, Winging It's kind of my benchmark. I've been doing that for, I think I just concluded season five of Winging It. And I think yeah. I may have started the year prior to that as a contributor. So six years, seven years, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I, uh, I'll do one pitch real quick. Started with the fan posts even earlier than that, which is a wonderful part of our community. Uh, yeah. And I encourage anybody who just got that itch to contribute, you know, jump into the fan posts of your, your favorite team's SB Nation blog and uh, have at it. Yeah. It, you know what? The fan, the fan, the fan side of things, you, there's some good stuff on there. And you got we, 
I always brag, and I know most people probably try to brag about it, but I always brag about our fan base. I'm like, the Bills Mafia fan base, we're smart. You know, like, I feel like uh, we're informed. We know a lot. But I think it's because of people like you and because of people, um, you know, who put the content out where it helps to inform the fan base in a way that's easy for them to digest it, but also regurgitate it. So um, what what's your, I guess, because you, you talked about starting off um, kind of with the fan side of things like that. So what what was the most difficult thing for you, or has it been difficult at all, to transition from kind of like the fan side of things to what you're doing now? So, yeah, you know, a lot of it is self-reflection, self-recognition, you know, and uh, the writing tip you always hear for everybody is, is write what you know. So I start off with the fan posts doing uh, stuff with penalty uh, data. So I'm a big uh, regs guy for my full-time job, uh, you know, got to enforce the rules, those kinds of things. So that comes second nature to me. So kind of translating that into football terms and uh, just creating a discussion point, you know, and really re recognizing like, what am I doing here in the first place at, at buffalorumblings.com? Why am I writing? Well, it's because I want to have a conversation about a particular topic and writing has kind of allowed me to, to direct the conversation to what I want to talk about, uh, which is nice. And as you pointed out, you know, it's a bit of a cyclic nature with uh, content creators and the fans. And uh, for a lot of fan bases, I don't know if you could have a successful, you know, if you want to call it that content creator, such as myself, because I do have some fairly niche things that I fall into, like penalties. You know, how many how many sites are going to really support a penalty guy? Uh, you know, but Buffalo Bills, you know, Bills Mafia, uh, we've done it. So uh, as far as the transition goes, it really was just expanding upon my niche and, and finding some other things, um, you know, I think I've gotten okay at or pretty good at. And, um, you know, what do people want to hear and what do I want to be heard, you know, and finding those things and just pushing forward. Uh, perseverance is, is a word you hear a lot for this business or other ones. And I'm going to say that do it cause you love it. And you know, maybe you'll, you'll strike gold or whatever. <clears throat> yeah. I, and that's what I tell when people uh, start off doing content and they come and ask me like, well, Hey, you got any advice? And I basically tell them the same thing. Like, look, you got to love it, you know, have fun. Cause because there's going to be times where, you know, 10 people listen to your show or then <laughs> there's going to be times where you, you kind of strike gold on something and you're going to have thousands of people, you know, view or listen to it so i tell them and don't don't do it for the views you got to do it for the sake of for yourself you want to do it so you you just spoke about kind of having conversations you want to have i do want to i want to pivot this i want to get back to kind of like talking about about you and what you do but i want your opinion on some things as well sure and so this week the national sb nation crew um they have their their national pod and vidcast that they do and they kind of took a shot at Brandon Bean and the Buffalo Bills. And shout out to my guys, RJ. And, um, you know, I'll play the clip. You all can see who it is. Shout out to my guys. But I want your take on this after. My previous team that I had enjoyed in this way was the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, massive media darling. Um, the Bills, I really felt like, and, and this does involve my Cowboys fandom, were the AFC's version of the Cowboys last year. And nobody wants to care. Like, that really is a testament to, like, how not media powerful the Bills are that, like, they completely withered in the playoffs and nobody cared. Like everybody's like, okay, cool. <laughs> you, you lost to the Bengals. Fine. We'll just move on. We'll forget about you. Josh Allen had a million interceptions. And I felt like their issue offensively was very similar to Dallas's. Dallas had CeeDee Lamb and Tony Depart on offense and no other explosive players to help. So what did they do? I'm not saying the Cowboys have won the Super Bowl, but they went out and traded for Brandon Cooks. Boom. All right. We've established the problem. We've identified it. We have taken measures to solve it what have the bills done what like how have the bills gotten better Pete, you kind of like threw some you know cold water on the Bengals for bringing in orlando brown jr that was addressing a serious issue right like that's been what the bank that's been their bugaboo is protecting joe burrow what have the bills done like like and, and nobody cares no, nobody wants to talk about them nobody is criticizing the bills yeah. for doing nothing in free agency they're just sitting there you know like chilling being idle i don't understand it and i I am off the Bills bandwagon. I'm sorry. I cannot be in love with this team that doesn't want to win anymore. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As, uh, 
man, what do you what do you have to say? Because I have yeah. a lot to say about. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, a lot of times with sports, we really focus on the the what's on paper aspect, and you know, sometimes that's right, sometimes that's not. Uh, we, we throw out the term sports psychology a ton, but a lot of people don't want to have the conversation on psychology, you know, not related like human psychology as it relates to sports. And the primary question I've heard multiple variations of this throughout the off season. And first off they're hubris and thinking that nobody's talking about this issue. Everybody's talking about this issue, at least as far as I'm, I'm tapped into, but uh, the, the thing I keep pointing back to, what have the bills done to get better or to get better this year? Well, hopefully they're not going to face, uh, you know, multiple calamities uh, to try to make light mm -hmm. of a, a situation. You know, last season really kind of resembled uh, the Simpsons episode, Homer at the Bat, where, you know, <laughs> Mr. Burns is trying to bring in all the ringers. And he's like, what would it take to derail this team? And he's talking about the number of, I think he used the word calamities. And he's like, eight calamities? Like, that's preposterous. There's no way eight calamities would happen to derail this team. Well, the Buffalo Bills... <laughs> had all of those calamities you have you know the the weird nerve tonic situation uh with i think it was ken griffey jr and i don't want to go too far to the simpsons avenue but you've had so many different things which play into the, the psychology aspect of the team and uh so rare you even have players like matt milano speaking at, at the end of the season saying quotes like we ran out of gas like just a, a recognition of how deeply impacted they were by the number of, of tragedies and calamities that befell the team um you know and to not have to deal with some of that stuff, I think naturally is going to uh, help with the team this year because really they were off to a great start. And I think that they hit 13 and three and yeah, they fizzled at the end. Nobody wants to see that. I, I'm not trying to make, uh, you know, just blanket excuses, but that aspect of just human behavior and human nature really just can't be overlooked. So what do they do to get better? Hopefully they're getting themselves better emotionally and mentally able to prepare for the season and not have to deal with all that crap. And then as far as the stuff on paper, I mean, to think that they've sat back and do nothing. I mean, they, they took a look at their receiver room. They've added uh, a speedster. They've added a guy who might be able to replicate some extra routes uh, inside and outside. They've gotten a little bit more versatile on that side of the ball. Uh, you know, have they done all that they could necessarily? You know, I don't know. I, I think everybody can, you know, point to a, a thing or two maybe that they'd improve. But the reality is you have 32 teams all looking to get better on paper, but you got to wait to see how it actually plays out once the games start hitting. And we won't know really how that, that occurs. So I think it's kind of short-sighted to, to call them out for that. And, um, you know, I think it ignores a lot of the things that did really derail the system. So not to sound too cocky with the team, uh, but the point I'm really getting at is when you have a team that, that really is high level and you could take a look at Kansas city, you could take a look at uh, Cincinnati, you could take a look at Philly, really anyone you want. When you're up in that upper kind of elite echelon of teams, one or two players isn't going to move the needle that much no matter what you do. So, yeah, maybe you had a splashy guy last year. They had a Von Miller, which was which was nice. Uh, but, yeah, does that really, you know, you can only move the needle up so high where, you know, other teams down here, a big splash does that. So, yeah, maybe they've been resting on their laurels compared to other teams, but they're not really – in my opinion, falling off a cliff either. And they're already up here. So like, I mean, come on, it just, to me, it sounds more like a talking point to, you know, pile on, uh, you know, arrival, but that's yeah. my take. I I'll zip it. I could go on, but no, <laughs> that, no. that kind of conversation bugs me, but. Well, no, I'm with you. And, and so everything you said, I agree with completely. Uh, what I will add to that is you have to also in context, look at Outside of the things that you mentioned, you also have to look at what the Buffalo Bills season was. So um, after game two, we no longer had Micah Hyde. So right. we played with a secondary uh, with Jordan Poyer and with um, DeMar Hamlin. We, we took some time with Cam Lewis back there. We kind of shuffled some guys around. So look at it. Basically, you went the whole season without an all pro safety. So you add it now this season coming back, you're adding Micah Hyde. So, OK, we didn't make a splash. Well, guess what? We're adding all pro talent to our secondary right. and we re-signed Jordan Poyer. Oh, and guess what? Now we have starting caliber depth at that position because we signed rap from coming out from California. So. Again, you know, people want to say nothing's done. On defense, we added starting caliber player as depth. Um, Trey White is going to be a lot better than he was last year. He was coming back from an ACL tear. I always say, I said this before last season. I said it, you know, multiple seasons ago when you watch basketball, when you watch baseball. If you tell your Terry ACL, you're not the same player probably for two seasons at least. So 
now I'm looking at Trey White to come out and be a better version of himself. You, you know, you want to talk about what did the Bills do to improve? Okay, Devin Singletary left. He went to the Texans. Guess what? Damian Harris is a better back. I love Devin Singletary. I'm not going to say he's a better back like he's a superstar. Sure. I don't mean it that. It's not like a – I'm not saying he's better by a mile. But there are things that he does that improves. There were things that the Buffalo Bills offense didn't have last year that Damian Harris brings to this team. That's just right. that's just a fact, you know. Um, and then, I mean, I could talk. I could I can go on all day about different things, kind of like you, uh, you know, Dawson Knox. Early in the season, I don't think he was mentally and emotionally prepared to play. I just don't. And and I was kind of critical of him. But you fast forward to the second half of the season, and he looked like the tight end that we wanted to give that extension right. to. He was making big plays in the playoffs. He made the one touchdown catch like behind dude's head. Like it was like, how are you? How are you doing this? Right. So. I just think I just think if you're if if you're really going to make comments or statements like that, then really kind of understand what it is like. We didn't have to go out and make a big splash signing because we got, you know, we got all pro guys like and you mentioned. We're already kind of at a certain level that a signing is barely going to move the needle. We were 13 and three. I think Sarah's mentioned in the comments here. We're 13 and three last year on a bad year, yeah. um, <laughs> right. you know, right. And then one thing, and I'll ask your opinion on this. Um, can we overlook the fact, look, he played. So to me, he was healthy. When you play, you're healthy. You're on the field, you're healthy. Josh Allen had a, had a partially torn UCL, a, a sprained UCL. Now he's going to be healthy. So I think that's a difference too. Um, what do you think the difference is going to be for this upcoming season with Josh Allen being healthy compared to what we had from him last year? Yeah, no, and, and that's exactly, you know, part of what I was hitting at too is, you know, it's, it's one thing to get new guys, but getting your own guys who are at that level back and back full strength. And, and uh, I did uh, one of the things over at BuffaloRumblings.com, I did season splits for pre and post uh, injury for the UCL. And there was a significant difference in a lot of it. And what was remarkable is that, you know, when you take a look at stats that maybe dictate usage, uh, so throwing attempts, um, average intended air yards, those kinds of things. Ken Dorsey wasn't dialing back the, the plan for Josh Allen. So, you know, it's kind of a twofold question, you know, in regards to Josh Allen, him being healthier is obviously going to be huge because you could see uh, as much as he's powering through, uh, you do see some statistical differences between pre and post injury. And then right along with the quarterback, you always have to worry about the offensive coordinator. And with Ken Dorsey, I think he, he did pretty well. You know, I think a lot of people forget, like he really hadn't called plays prior to this year. So, 13 and three. Yeah, we have some hiccups, but as Sarah's pointed out, this was considered a bad year. We went 13 and three with a first time coordinator. He will improve some things. He might have some more weapons at his disposal. Will, uh, you know, the new back uh, and new receivers, will they create some new wrinkles that Dorsey can leverage? So he's not going to, the, you know, pardon my English, I'll censor myself, but the chuck it or bleep it approach that sometimes did show up with Josh Allen. Uh, you know, maybe I'm not sure what to do. So let's just hope Josh Allen bails us out. And again, going back to that, that pre and post splits, you see Dorsey didn't really modify what he was asking Allen to do. So another year under his belt, more experience, more tools, plus Allen back fully healthy. You know, if we can keep those things together, then, you know, 13-3 might very well look like a bad year uh, compared to what they can do. You know, their, their ceiling was here before. Get their players back to keep it there and, uh, you know, see what happens. A uh, comment from Walter here says that he agrees with RJ on the take about the Bills not doing much this offseason, notable on offense, but he disagrees with us being similar to the Cowboys in terms of weapons. Cowboys had a better O-line and almost two 1,000-yard running backs. I'll tell you what, one of the things that RJ said that I really kind of just laughed at, he's like, oh, we had a major problem. We went out and we signed Brandon Cooks. Look, I, I, I'm not I'm not going to pile on Brandon Cooks. I think he's a very good receiver when he's healthy. My question to you is look at his career and tell me how often he's actually been healthy for his team. So to me, like, yeah, you, you sign a guy based on potential, which is what we do. I guess everybody is signed yeah. based on the potential. But Stefan Diggs, I mean, he's a healthy receiver. He's on the field. Um, Gabriel Davis, he had an ankle injury last year, but for the most part, he's been on the field. Um, I would like to see us draft another wide receiver. We're going to talk about the draft in a minute, so I don't want to jump ahead. But to, to Watcher's point here, um, I just – I don't know. I don't look at what the Cowboys went through versus what the Bills went through as the same thing. I think the Bills just fizzled out at the end of the year. But I think they they were the second-best offense in the league. They were this. They were that. I, I just don't know how to compare the Cowboys to the to the Bills. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult. And um, 
you know, one of the things I've tried to preach with a lot of the analytics and, and statistical stuff that I do is really just how unique each team really can be. So, you know, you want to take a look uh, and, and we'll get to the draft, like you said, uh, and I'll save it maybe for there. But one of the things I just added recently was my pitch that BPA does not exist uh, for a draft standpoint, best player available, because there has to be consideration for what the team's actually capable of. And even a slight difference, uh, you know, what your quarterback can or can't do is going to determine which receiver, you know, you think is better to match up with them. And because of that, it goes to that, that process that I call BPFU best player for us. And, that does create, uh, you might hear, uh, sorry, one of my uh, doctrines okay. is trying sorry. to get in on the show. So no worries. Uh, okay. <laughs> as long as you're okay with it, uh, uh, we'll just give some some head scritches and see what happens there. But uh, so, you know, you, you try to compare to other teams and, um, you know, try to make these blanket comparisons. It just becomes really difficult. So what the Cowboys did, you know, should not be considered a template for what other teams should do, whether it works for them or not. Yeah, there could be some lessons to learn, of course. But it's just data, and, and what you do with the data uh, depends on who you're applying it to. So should the Bills go out and get a Brandon Cooks? I don't know about that. I, I like who they got. Like you said, if they could pick someone up in the draft, uh, you know, I'd be happy with that too. You know, I think a, another wide receiver just to compete and push people, uh, definitely not a bad thing. Yeah, I'm with you. And uh, Walter has another comment here that I want yeah. your, your opinion on. He says, our signings on offense are projected upgrades, but not obvious upgrades. The same way Stafford, Crowder, Quest, and Barry were supposed to be upgrades this time last year. I don't know if I could say that I thought that personally. I don't I don't know if I could say that uh, Crowder was an upgrade to Cole Beasley to me. I don't know if I would say um, – now I know a lot of the a lot of the social uh, or not social, but the content creators, the writers, everybody's saying like, yes, yeah, Saffold and Questenberry are absolute upgrades. I don't know if I felt like we addressed the offensive line properly last year, um, and I still don't feel like we're addressing it properly this year. But what, what's your take on that comment there? Yeah, so a couple things. With so with Crowder, you know, I actually I would agree with that that they're they are projected, and this really ties in well to my last point, especially with Crowder compared to Beasley. You know, Beasley has otherworldly route running abilities. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to say unique, but up there, like elite. Now, Crowder is very good. He's an excellent route runner. I don't want to take anything away from the man. Uh, but maybe a step down from Beasley, you know, prime. Obviously, uh, you know, Crowder is uh, – and Beasley are both aging, so some of that stuff comes into play. But when you're looking at him, maybe a step down on the route running for Crowder, but then he adds more speed. So a little bit faster, a little bit more acceleration – which brings a different element of the game. So is he an obvious upgrade? Well, it depends on what the offensive coordinator sees and how they're going to use him because you're going to use them in slightly different manners and they're going to be successful in slightly different ways. And same thing with Saffold and, and uh, you know, Questenberry and, um, you know, really anyone you want to look at the line. Uh, for years I've been hinting, you know, offensive line really you shouldn't look at a player and assume upgrade uh, or better or worse. And even usually your low tier, people who get called turnstiles or trash, I really hate that term for the offensive line because so much of what they do really depends on the guy or two next to them, you know, at all times and what the uh, kind of vision is uh, for that. And one phrase everybody who's been reading me for years has gotten used to, uh, and I recently saw uh, uh, BJ uh, Monticelli uh, also use it in, in one of his things, is a phrase, not a mauler. You know, that's what the Bills have been avoiding that you know they don't really get these guys who are going to blow up a couple defensive linemen and shove them back that's not what they've done and that's not philosophically what it seems like they're drawn to so they're looking for more agile more versatile guys and then you got to actually use them that way and sometimes that's that's missing i uh i always go back to the frank gore season we had frank gore who's the exact opposite of that he's he's not a finesse guy he's not gonna dance he's gonna cut and explode but when you're trying to push you know an actual ton of humans to get a yard or two, you need other people to help you with that. And if you don't have mm -hmm. the right lineman in front of you, I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how powerful you are. I still felt like that season, Frank Gore still had stuff left in the tank, but it just wasn't working out because it was not the right line to push for him. So, uh, you know, I think it was Walter, Walt, Walt threw that question out there. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. Everything is wait and see. You got to actually see how the things come together and one person uh, chemistry wise can really tank uh, an otherwise successful idea. Yeah. Yeah. So I I'm with you on everything that you're saying. I don't even have anything to add to that. I think that, you know, when you, when you look at 
again, these projections and you look at all this stuff, it's like you got to a use the guys that you're bringing in the way they're supposed to be used. You can't say. So, for instance, we're saying Damian Harris. OK, he's, he does some things that Devin Singletary didn't do. OK, so that's an upgrade in one aspect to we can add something to our office. But if we never use him in that way and then we just say, you know, what, we're going to give James Cook the ball on, a, you know, it, it just it, it takes away. To me, the effectiveness of the player. One of the areas that I don't think Brandon Bean um, really acknowledged, um, which I'm sure he will do to some capacity in the draft, is middle linebacker. Tremaine Edmonds, my heart breaks. Everybody knows I love Tremaine. Tremaine's gone. He's gone to Chicago. Um, how do you feel about or or what, do, what direction do you think that the Buffalo Bills are going to go in when trying to address this whole this big huge hole that now we have because now it's a six six plus hole that's no longer in the middle of the field for the buffalo bills with a wingspan that reaches from sideline to sideline like what what are we going to do yeah i mean uh like a pterodactyl in the middle of the field just swooping from sideline to sideline with that huge wingspan and uh soft-spoken great guy i'm gonna miss the hell out of him um but what are they gonna do i'm gonna go back to the first year for the, the mcdermott era in Buffalo where they had Marcel Darius uh, really dictating a completely different style. You know, they have not had a player like him or his caliber uh, since that season. And, um, you know, they started off a little bit more base traditional defense for that year. They decided for, you know, I'm assuming culture reasons, um, you know, his play was all right. You know, I don't think he was committing himself as full as he could have, which was the big knock on the man. But um, I think culture or some other reason they decided midway through the year, you know, Darius is gone. You know, he's not someone we could work with any longer. And that creates, uh, you know, in my opinion, a similar gap. He, he had that potential. He was an impact star player when he was on. Yeah. He was on. And when you take a player like that out, you don't replace him. You know, you're not going to pull a guy off the street and say, well, you're the new Marcel Darius. No, you're going to do something else. And so that really was the beginning of the Buffalo nickel kind of era where they decided we can't replace them. So what we're going to do is we're going to get faster. We're going to get lighter. We're going to try and cover things a little bit differently. And um, I remember way back, uh, you know, I did write something on that because that was significant. They shifted drastically towards the nickel defense and they really haven't looked back. And uh, Tremaine Edmonds really allowed a lot of that to happen because he could range over the middle and provide that coverage. So you could have the lighter guys kind of hanging back and doing their thing and, and being dominant uh, in a lot of aspects of defense that's going to be gone. So how you place that is probably some more versatility uh, coming back to, to one of our earlier topics, you know, having Micah Hyde and, and Poyer and Rap all able to hit the field and be able to float over and, and shift around, cause some confusion, you know, cause uh, you know, a little bit of chaos with what are we doing? Well, you don't know till it's going to happen. You know, they, they've certainly not been shy about that before. Um, you know, I give plenty of examples. I've used uh, Jordan Phillips as a defensive end at times, you know, when he's been on the field, like who would expect that they've successfully used some of the bigger guys in coverage because they've been able to, to tap into some of those resources and, and be successful. I know stuff like that gets knocked on, but when you have players, which they love that versatility to be able to play multiple positions and create that chaos, I think you can cover some of those flaws, but you know, I, I don't think, uh, you, you replace a player like that. I think you, you shift what you're doing fundamentally when you lose somebody of that caliber. It just breaks my heart, man. <laughs> it just, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, cause I mean, it's not a secret for me. Like I, I love Tremaine Edmonds. So, I mean, the bears actually just picked up a fan because I'm going to watch their games now because Tremaine's there. And yeah, he's that um, type of guy. Yeah, no. And, and if you've, I'm sure you, you, you mentioned that he's kind of quiet, not so outspoken to the media as much, but um, he's a huge presence in the locker room. If you've ever been around the team, you know, to really, really any capacity and you're ever able to, to get around certain guys, certain guys, just, you can tell that they mean a lot to the team. And Tremaine was that guy. And it just sucks to me that, um, you know, we couldn't figure it out and we weren't able to keep him. But I tell you what, I do. I do like the idea. And, and Sarah saying this jokingly for a four one six defense. I was just going to say, mm -hmm. I, I do think um, <laughs> I, I don't I'm not saying that that should be our base or anything like that. But I would love to see what they can do with like a three safety. Um, oh, yeah. uh, you yeah, know what I mean? Happen. Like. I'm sure we'll see it. Yeah. I'm absolutely sure we'll see it. Uh, Victor says, watch Tremaine go out to Chicago and lead him. He's going to, I'm telling you, he's going to turn into an all pro. I don't, Bills fans, ha they were so rough on Tremaine, man. And I don't get it. He didn't get the love that I feel like he deserved. Um, they would, they would basically 
blame him for shortcomings on the defensive line and they would blame him for other things and i'm like okay watch he's gonna go to chicago and all of a sudden bills fans are gonna be like man now we're gonna have a reason to be mad to be mad at brandon bean why didn't you bring back i tried to tell y'all for the last you know what i mean like i've been telling y'all all these years how good tremaine is and he's He's still very young. He's going to have a, a great career, and um, you know I'm rooting for the guy. I, I, some news came out today, and I want your opinion on this. Um, we can kind of we're just kind of bouncing all over the place. But the Buffalo Bills announced today that all the documents and contracts for the the new Bills Stadium has been signed by New York State, Erie County, and the organization. And this is pretty a pretty significant step uh, in the whole scheme of things as far as you know breaking ground and starting to build. Thoughts on on a obviously just in general the sign like everything happening b the type of stadium c it's staying in Orchard Park as opposed to some fans wanted it in Buffalo some fans wanted it you know somewhere how do you, how do you feel just about everything yeah so you know I'm, I'm glad that there's not a ton of shenanigans about you know we're moving we're not moving we we have a deal we don't have a deal I'm glad mm-hmm. you know all the parties involved are pretty much forging ahead in unison I like that aspect. Uh, whether or not you agree with public funding, um, I, I'm going to not touch that topic. Uh, I don't <laughs> want your comments to become incendiary. Whether you agree with that or not, though, all the players that have to work together is better when they're working together. And so I, I'm really happy about that aspect. From the design stance, um, I was team dome. I'm not going to lie about that. And not because of my uh personal preferences. Um, you know, I once uh, caused a bit of a social media stir because someone in my small town decided to post a picture of me shoveling in shorts and, and called me a couple of choice words uh, with my foolishness, supposedly, but that's me in winter. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind that's of that rude. guy. So I'm not, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's so rude. Don't, yeah. don't do that. You let don't... people live their lives. Let, let but, people shovel in shorts, man. Let that happen. Yeah, exactly. You know, if that's my thing, that's my, so, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not worried about the weather <laughs> for me, but you know, I used to pick on Brian Dable a little bit. I love the guy. I love what he's done with New York. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Daryl. <laughs> Team Dome, yes. I love what Dable's done. But once a year, I, I call it the Dable game. Once a year, you see where he just he completely ignores that weather exists. So whether it was, uh, you know, the Saints game. Or, actually, I'm not sure if he was there for the Saints game. But you had the Philly game from a couple of years back. You have he had the, the New England game. The New England game, yeah. He just, yeah, it's Josh Allen. I don't care. I, I love Josh Allen, but you just – the elements will sometimes get you. You got to adjust. So going into a more modern passing game, it would just be nice to see the stadium support that. And uh, with Western New York, you just, you got a huge chunk of the year. A lot of people throw that out there like, Oh, it's only bad for a couple of months. But if you live here for any length of time, I'm going to tell you, there's only two types of wind that we get in Western New York. We have perfect kite flying weather. You, the kite's going to go up easy. It's going to sail. It's going to be perfect. And we have so much dang wind. that's going to rip your kite apart weather. Those are the two types of wind we have in Western New York, and that's year-round. So, you know, September, yeah, maybe it's 70 degrees. That's pleasant, but that wind can still hit you, take a ball, and make it sail. We've all seen that. So and you know, I was – oh, I'm sorry. No, no, you, I was just going to say you bring up a good point too because if you um, – I did this before, but I, did, I didn't have it prepared for this show because I didn't know we were going to go in this direction. But um, if you look at J- Josh's st- stats for um, his games in dome versus outside – um, it, it's it's just like the dude could win MVP every year with the way he plays in a dome. So, uh, but go ahead and finish your point. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That, that's exactly where I'm going. I mean, you know, I think of all the quarterbacks in the league, if you have to throw in this wind, you choose Josh Allen. I don't deny that aspect, and I think he's a good mm-hmm. pick for the weather. But if you could spend a, a couple extra bucks, I know it's it's more obviously what I got in my couch cushions. But if you could spend a couple extra bucks in good faith and just make the team that much more effective then I think you want to do that. So, you know, I like the, the, the partial coverage design. I think it will mitigate some of the wind um, and, you know, great. Uh, you know, that, that's a, a partial thing. And I, I will say of all the game types I've been to, rain is the worst. So if you can mitigate the rain, I could deal with the wind, I could deal with the temperature, but you're out there in the, the, the wet and that's going to get you no matter who you are uh, for that length of time. So I like those aspects of it. And, uh, you know, you also asked about the location. I love Orchard Park. Uh, you know, for me, um, going to downtown would be difficult. I'm a bit east in the, the rural neck of the woods, um, you know, a bit of a redneck myself. So traveling one road basically to get to the stadium park and that's your whole trip. It, it's nice. I love it. So I have no qualms, uh, you know, with the Orchard Park location. And, um, 
yeah, I think they made a pretty good decision. Hopefully we can get a little further away from the cemeteries that maybe are cursing the team. And uh, now if you're <laughs> superstitious, maybe that extra, just across the road, the ghost won't find us and, and curse us. So, you know, lots of good things uh, happening with that. I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious, but <laughs> I will say, I will say you're, you're, so we have similar views on, on a lot of the things that you just spoke about. I'm just opposite when it comes to the weather aspect, because so for me, I, I purposely moved to Phoenix to get away from the cold. Right. Meanwhile, you're shoveling in shorts. Yeah. And so like we both get mean comments from people where they are saying mean things about you because you're shoveling the snow and saying it's, it's crazy. Me, I, I, people call me soft because, look, I'm not soft, dude. I'm black. We're coming from Africa. We like we like heat, man. We like the heat. Look at my skin. I like the heat. I don't. I don't like the cold. I don't. Uh, all jokes aside on it. To me, the thing about the thing about the snow, I understand for years, it's a home field advantage. It's a home field advantage. I tell you what, the last game that we saw the Buffalo Bills play this season, it did not look like a home field advantage at all. So no. to me, at some point, you know, it's like, OK, can we stop calling it an advantage at least like at least can we can we change that conversation? What? You know, yeah, I, I agree 100. percent And uh, if you want evidence of that, go back to the the snowboard time game where we barely won, keep the playoff uh, hopes alive uh, back in 2017. And uh, one of the things, if if you live in it and you grew up in it, you realize you come to realize that when you're running through snow, you actually change your body mechanics. And I want mm -hmm. you know, people are wanting to do this deep dive. Go back and look at Lashawn McCoy, Shady. You could tell that's a guy who grew up running in snow or at least his practice in it because the way he runs a couple of those times during the game. And then I want you to look at literally almost anybody else on the field. You, you can't have a team full of, you know, these, these rare people who are, who can accommodate this one off kind of rare thing and, and be successful at it. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's not an advantage. Um, and, and unless you want to go back to a ground and pound type of situation or, or team and have that as your dominant philosophy, it'll never be an advantage again. It's just not how it works. And you don't do that if you have no. Josh Allen at quarterback. No. Now, again, <laughs> now in those one-off games, for instance, you talked about the game um, or we I kind of brought it up and you're like, yeah, that's one of them. Uh, the game against the Patriots when it was windy and all that stuff. The Patriots literally ran every play except for two, <laughs> like yeah. literally every single play. <laughs> right. And the Buffalo Bills, to me, in that game, it's you change your philosophy and you use Josh Allen as a running back that game. You right. use, you know, but – for some reason back then with Dayball, we didn't do it. And and so now, like, my fear is after seeing a season with Ken Dorsey as the play caller, I personally, I'm not as hard on Ken Dorsey as a lot of the, the fan base is. I think that for a first-year play caller, I think Ken Dorsey did a phenomenal job. We have the second. Now, I get it. You have Josh Allen at quarterback. So that's going to help. Like, I could probably go in there as the offensive coordinator and we're top 10. You know what I mean? Like, I could probably do that. Yeah. yeah. I could I could. <laughs> Easily. I could just, okay, Josh, go out there and, you know, Steph is down there somewhere. Just do your thing. I'm sure. But um, the, the thing that concerns me is I feel like his play calling actually took a step back as the season went, um, got deeper and deeper into the season. The first few games of the year, I noticed that there were a lot of short passes to Diggs. There was a lot of short that allowed Diggs to kind of turn a five-yard gain into like an eight-yard or 10-yard gain. Um if you go back and you watch the, the game against um, the Rams, the very first game, I think Diggs had like, what, 14 receptions or something crazy like that for, and he had the one large reception. But other than that, he was like just eating up the field. He was, you know, just chewing up the chains, just going down the field. And that's the way I felt Josh Allen would have not only won MVP, but I feel like if, if we were able to, to get Josh Allen in a place where he takes what the defense gives him every single time he steps on the field, I just think it's going to be difficult for any team to beat the Bills. Any team. Oh, yeah, 100%. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch one of my things coming up for the offseason. I just uh, wrapped up some of the play selections for my annual Plays at Define series. And uh, I, I'm through week three for the play selections, which is the Miami game. And okay. you may, you, you may or may not, but you know, some people listening might be surprised to remember that was a 400 yard game from Josh Allen. It was. He threw for 400 yards in that game. And it's exactly that philosophy you're talking about. I looked through the play logs, looking for things that were representative and it wasn't these big chunks. It wasn't like 98 yards, this uh, 70 yards ad. It, it was a lot of dink and dunk. We used to pick on Tom Brady. You know, all he does is throw the short passes. Yeah, but he's scoring touchdowns like every other drive, man. Like, pick on all you want. It's working. 
you know, and setting up those those longer passes. So, yeah, 100 percent. I think some of that did shift coming back to, you know, way at the beginning of our conversation. Ken Dorsey's human, too. He's going through those same calamities mm-hmm. as the rest of the teams. You know, he's learning his ways. And, you know, some of it I'm hoping yeah, I'm going to cross my fingers that it comes down to you start feeling like you're back in the corner. You're just going to try and find some go to's and, and your creativity kind of wanes. So. Give him an off season, you know. I'm going to give the guy another chance for sure with with a fresh mind, and um, hopefully he learns from those. That's that's what we want to see. We know coaches, we know players are going to make mistakes. We just don't want to see him, uh, you know, become a pattern. Yeah, and and you know, and again, and then we can move on from this topic too. I just want to double down, like you know, Ken Dorsey is not a bad offensive coordinator. No. Like, you know, we lost we lost three games with a combined total of eight points which means we were in every single one of those games and every one of those games that we lost, I can point to a specific moment that if one of these plays were made, the bills probably would have won. And, you know, you go back to the jets game in, in New Jersey, um, Gabe Davis drops a ball bomb by Josh Allen. After he, after he injures his UCL, he throws a bomb, Gabe Davis, it hits him like right here. He drops it easily could have won that game. Uh, the Vikings game. I think that was more defensive, but I think after Tremaine Edmonds went out, you, you got to see how um, the run game and even Kirk Cousins kind of took advantage of the middle of the field. And then, you know, if Cam Lewis knocks that ball down instead of trying to intercept it, we win the game. Uh, you know, um, so again, I can, I can, the Miami game, I was at that game, man. It was hot as hell. Hot as it was so hot. And the thing is to me, yeah, we could blame Isaiah McKenzie. He didn't get out of bounds. We could blame this. We could blame that. Josh threw one of the passes into the dirt. But the thing is, even with that, if you look at the game, um, our it was basically I think we only had one starter on our offensive line left. And then I think like Diggs mentioned he he had two IVs at halftime. He said he never experienced full body cramps. That's what was happening. Yeah, middle of the, the third quarter, they gave me a call. They're like, "Hey, can you play? Can you play anything? Like, we just need you." Like, and I'm like, "I'm sorry, I'm all the way in Western like, New York." But yeah, no, I, I told him you're down so many bodies. You know, yeah, that game was just ridiculous. And we still almost won. Into your point, Josh, right. plus 400 yard game. So again, like I get it. We want to win every single game. We want to go undefeated. We want to win the Super Bowl. We, I definitely want to win the Super Bowl. But right. when you take a step back and you look at it in the grand scheme of things. It was a successful year. I get it. It, ended, it didn't end the way we wanted it to end, but there's more ways to look at. I just had this conversation last week. I was arguing with one of my best friends last week um, on my vacation. He's telling me like, it's not a success because they didn't win a Super Bowl. And I'm like, dude, there's more than one way to view a success. And he's just like, nope. Did they win a Super Bowl? I'm like, no. He's like, well, they didn't. So, but, but I feel like that's how a big portion of the fan base feels because we've wanted a Super Bowl for so long. Right. But what I recognize is now the team is, the trajectory that the team is on, I feel like we're – I know nothing is, is promised, but I feel like we're going to get one with Josh. It, it, I just have that feeling. I don't know about you, but I just have that feeling. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't want to count your chickens before the hatch and all that, but absolutely, you know, if, if one player instills confidence in this franchise that's that's never had that, uh, yes, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't want him going. So the Heat actually, you know, going back to the Heat, that is a home field advantage. You know, our snow is. is not – it's an equalizer. Uh, but the way Miami has their stadium set up with the, the cooling on their side and not the other side, it is a, an actual home field advantage. So, uh, but yeah, no, Josh Allen, I think he sells confidence that I've never seen before. And I, I grew up with the Kelly era uh, bills and, you know, you certainly had a lot of confidence then, but uh, this is, this is definitely another level uh, with Allen. Well, see to me, and there's the difference for me with now I'm probably going to get beat up by bills fans of um, anybody over the age of like, 35 or 40. I love Jim Kelly. I think Jim Kelly, obviously, uh, prior to Josh, was the best quarterback that the Buffalo built. Now, some would say camp. It depends on who you're talking to, what age group. But <laughs> the, the difference to me with Josh Allen is that Jim Kelly had a group of Hall of Famers with him. Like, he had a Hall of Fame uh, running back. We haven't seen Josh with a Hall of Fame running back. <laughs> we haven't seen Josh with a Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? So it's just it, – it's, it's, we got Vaughn now, but Vaughn had his, his um, ACL tear – we haven't seen Josh with a guy on defense like Bruce Smith that can just disrupt every single time he's out there. We haven't now Diggs. I'll give Diggs credit. I think, you know, the way he's playing, if he continues this, he's going to be a hall of famer, but the Buffalo bills had more outside of Andre Reed. It wasn't just Reed. And as much as let me get your opinion on this, because I've been critical of Gabriel Davis. A lot of people look at the stats and they're like, he's still a top wide receiver too. When you look at the numbers 
And for me, it's like I understand you look at the numbers and the numbers. OK, they'll, they'll tell one story, but there's just certain certain things that watching the games tells you that's different than what the because if you take the Pittsburgh game away. And I know we can't do that because it happened. Right. But it's 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 not like any other game that he's had. You take you take that away and his average completely his, his average uh, per catch, his average for this game, all of that, it completely changes. So I just don't know if I'm not saying that I think Gabriel Davis is a bad player. I've said this publicly several times that I think he's a very good player, but I think he's a very good wide receiver three who can grow into a very good wide receiver two. But I think we prematurely put him in a prominent role because of what we saw against Kansas city in the playoffs. Well, yeah, no, hundred percent. And actually uh, that was one of my, my recent videos on catch rate. Uh, I used him as the, the feature subject because of exactly that. And the thing that stood out, uh, sometimes I like to surprise myself. So I actually, I knew that there was going to be a difference with intended uh, distance um, or average distance to the throw with him. I knew there's going to be a difference uh, just from watching the games. If you didn't know that, then you weren't watching the games. You yeah. knew he was going to have that higher depth of target, but I think it was like five yards different than Stefan Diggs, who was the next highest which is a preposterous difference. I mean, that's just a, a, a crazy amount. If you're a Spaceballs fan, that's, that's going plaid. That's ludicrous how much different that, you know, intended uh, distance to throw is with Gabe Davis. And so naturally you're going to see catch rate go down uh, substantially. So, uh, you know, all those things, there, there's definitely some mitigating factors. So come back to Ken Dorsey. Could he design some easier routes for Gabe Davis and maybe bring that catch percentage up? And, a catch is always going to be better than a non-catch. I shouldn't say always, but but nearly always catching the ball is going to be better than letting it hit the turf. So, yeah, Dorsey could do some things to design easier plays to get Davis involved. That's going to bring more yards, more effectiveness. But on the other hand, you can't ignore the eye test entirely. I'm a stats guy for sure, but I made an argument a couple years back. The eye test and analytics are really the same thing, just different ends of the spectrum. Me looking at one play is just a singular point of data, which can then roll into my analytics and Gabe Davis has drops, which are inexplicable. You know, you referenced one earlier against the Jets where it hit him. And, um, you know, you never hate to use the me comparison. But I look at that and I'm like, man, I, I have a reasonable chance of catching it. That that perfect placement. Like, that was insane what Josh mm-hmm. Allen did, especially with an injury. I probably wouldn't have caught it. I would have been too worried about getting killed. So I, I want to give credit where it's due. And plus, I'm not fast enough to have been down there in the first place. But <laughs> point aside, that's a really easy catch. For an NFL receiver where you're like, yeah, how did how did that bounce off harmlessly and not result in in a positive play? And you do see those from time to time with Gabe Davis where, you know, yeah, I can defend catch rate to some degree with the difficulty of passes, but sometimes it's hitting your hands and it should be a catch and it's not with him. And that that drop rate or the the drop uh, numbers just aren't in his favor either. So I'd like to see some improvement. Um, with that, is it again part of the mental health stuff I, I was referencing earlier? Is a part of his game? The, the tough part is you see the ceiling because you've also seen uh, at one point he was you know toe tapping like uh, you know it's like river dance out there making catches you know just mm-hmm. moving his feet and touching the toes like so delicately and the body control is just insane. So you know he can do it. We just want to see it happen on a more consistent basis. So I think his ceiling is definitely an, a, a wide receiver too um, easily. But I don't know if he's there yet, and uh, there's just a few things that maybe make it kind of a question mark for me more than a certainty. Um, but, yeah, and I see Walter, your points coming up. Yeah, right now I'm, it's hard to argue against that, you know, and, um, yeah. Well, hold on. For, for those listening by podcast, I want to read this because I actually I agree a trillion percent with what Walter was <laughs> saying here. He says Davis is easily the best third receiver in the league. So I just want to clarify what he means by that. So Diggs is our wide receiver one. We want to have a wide receiver two of, you know, similar talent or just a step below Stefan Diggs. And then Davis will fill in that third receiver position. So he's saying if Davis was in the wide receiver three position, he's easily the best receiver in that role in the league. But a guy due to his limits, due to his limitations, shouldn't be a full time second wide receiver, in his opinion. Davis was taken out of games almost completely against cornerback ones. And and that's all I've been saying. When you when you, you know, get it, what happened against Kansas City in that playoff game, it was amazing. But that's because they dedicated so many of their resources on defense to make sure Stefan Diggs didn't catch anything. When you're doing it, yeah, you get to go against a 
a, a secondary, like a safety or a third cornerback or whatever you're doing. But when you're going against cornerback ones and cornerback twos who are elite, like for instance, now the Miami Dolphins have two very good cornerbacks down there. It's not just, you know, like it's, there's not a huge drop off from either one. You could get Ramsey over there. You get it doesn't matter. It, they're gonna they're gonna do well against any team they play. I just I just don't know. I don't I don't know. Xavier wants to know who do you think should be at wide receiver too, and this brings up one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about earlier that we were kind of got away from. Do you? Um, so there's been talk. Obviously, OBJ's contract now. He's saying that he doesn't want a certain amount. Uh, the Cardinals now. There's rumors that DeAndre Hopkins may be cut instead of traded um there's receivers in the draft there's all these different things what direction would you like the buffalo bills to take at this point going i think we draft one but what what direction do you think uh the Bills should take yeah i mean if we could make the money work i'd love to see hopkins um that'd Mm -hmm. be that'd be my ideal scenario we can make that work uh the bills i mean might be looking at i hate to make light of a situation but it's almost like you need anti-bullying legislation to uh, stop them from doing what they want to do. I mean, they're just going to be crazy dominant. I think if you have a, we talk about wide receiver two, I mean, that'd be wide receiver one and and one, a one B. What we were promised from Josh, but see that, (laughs) and that's the, that's the problem. That was my issue. That's what Josh told us we had in Gabe Davis last off season. (laughs) He did this interview and he's like, I don't, and I'll I'll send it to you. I don't know if you, if you remember that or not. Oh no, I do. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. He had this interview and he comes out and he says, I don't look at Gabe as a wide receiver two or a wide receiver three. He's a wide receiver one B he's just as good as Stefan. So then going into the season, all of us, fans, content creators, writers, media, everybody's like, all right, this, this Gabriel Davis kid's about to take a step. And we're about to see it, this dynamic Buffalo Bills offense that's just beastly. And that's not, I mean, it, it was a great offense, but it still just, it didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Cause I mean, he's got to talk his guys up and uh, I respect him for that. Uh, and, you know, I think, again, Davis's ceiling, if he if he reaches his ceiling, we we know he can have a game like Kansas City. Um, and if he were having more games like that, I don't think this is a conversation at all this offseason. But uh, the problem is, you know, really that consistency issue. You know, he, he showed us what a complete game looks like and the, the sky's the limit. Um, but he's just not there all the time. So, uh, you know, if. If he can get there, uh, you know, I would actually say top ceiling Gabe Davis. I would actually probably rather have him than even Hopkins. You know, is he a step down? Yeah, sure, but he's going to be around longer. He's going to be cheaper, allow other resources to come come to fruition. But just as is, that it's that consistency thing, and that's a killer for me. Um, I love what you can do as a ceiling, but if you can't do it play in, play out, it's harder to plan for that. It's harder to scheme for that, and it'll show up in, in games where, you know, you disappear instead, you know, and, and – for every KC game, we have a game where it's like, where was Davis? You know, well, what's going on? Um, so for me, you know, how to address the position. If we can make the money work, there's always ways. Uh, we can hit other things in, in ways maybe we don't love. But if we can get Hopkins, man, I, I'm 100% on board with that. And uh, I know I'm a big culture guy, personality thing. And Sarah's saying dead cat for the cards if they release really Hop. Yeah, or Hop. Uh, if they want to eat that, let them. Uh, I don't know how likely that is if they can get – you know, a, a cheeseburger and um, a half a pack of M&Ms for them in exchange of a trade. I'm sure they'd rather do that than eat that kind of dead cap. But um, yeah, if, if it can work. Whew. That's the problem, though. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I live in Phoenix. And so I've made friends with some guys out here that cover the team. There, there was actual real chatter. There was things happening as far as the Buffalo Bills inquiring about DeAndre Hopkins. There were some offers going back and forth. From what I hear, uh, the Cardinals just will not budge on what they're asking for. So at this point, the Buffalo Bills, the, the New England Patriots, the Kansas City Chiefs, all the teams who are interested in trading for DeAndre Hopkins just won't do it because, I mean, and I, and I get it. At this point, you're going to, to bring on his contract and you're telling me you want me to give up um, a second rounder. Uh, you know, like they're, they're asking for a king's ransom, no pun intended. They're asking for a king's ransom for DeAndre Hopkins. And it's just like, look, this guy isn't going to he's very good still. Trust me, I, I'm. I'm happy if the Bills get them, but I'm sad as a Cardinals season ticket holder because it takes – you know what I mean? Like it takes yeah. away a lot of it. And then even with – because Kyler Murray will probably miss the majority of the season, but it doesn't matter who was throwing to DeAndre Hopkins. He was making like 
right. insane catches look routine. So um, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. Whatever team gets him and however it happens, man, he's going he's gonna to be an incredible asset to that team. And uh, I just hope it's the Bills. I'm with you. I hope it's the right. Bills. I said this like back in December on, on Hump Day Hotline. I'm like, yo, do whatever you got to do. Like, I love Ed Oliver, but he's 10 million plus on the cap. Trade him. Do what you know what I mean? Like, get a guy because you, and I'll say this and then I'll, um, I'll ask you to plug your stuff and we'll get ready to get on out of here. Um, my thing is, and I'm huge on this take, like, I'm huge on this take. Do not do what Green Bay did to Aaron Rodgers. Now, granted, uh, Devontae Adams turned into one of the best receivers that we've seen, but they didn't draft first round. They didn't go out and say, you know what? I'm going to go and get the guy that I really know will work. Don't do that, Bills. Like, protect Josh. Get offensive linemen. I think my man Dan Freddy says draft fat guys. Let's protect Josh Allen. And then on top of it, get him weapons that you know are going to complement him and Stephon Diggs. We got to do it. We got to do it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the coaching team, I'm sad to see Leslie Frazier go, um, but they've proven that they can take a lot of moving parts on the defense and still keep playing at a high level. Uh, offense is a different kind of animal, and you need to just do a few things to support differently. And, uh, you know, if we have to allocate resources or put ourselves in cap jail for a little bit, I'd, I'd prefer to be on the offense, get those weapons to be so insurmountable that other teams just, you know, have trouble going to sleep at night figuring this out. And yeah, the, the Packers, uh, yeah, not doing what they could for for, for Rodgers, not uh, getting him the weapons he wants, deserves. There's a lot of things you could talk about with mismanagement. I actually uh, think I say that record numerous times. One of the biggest things uh, I hold against McCarthy is a blemish on his record is only winning one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. Like as a coach, and with that level of quarterback, like it's this. It boggles my mind to think that that he walked away with one ring with with someone of that talent. So, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that, Buffalo. You, we got Josh Allen locked down for some years to come. And to your point, I don't think that Josh is at Rogers' level, but I think we see that that he's going to be like in, in a year or two. I mean, it's already really like when you look at the top five, top three. You're talking about Mahomes, Allen, Burrow. You know, Herbert, like there's certain guys that you're going to throw in there within the next three to five years. Sure. Look, you don't want to come out of that saying that you had the second or third best quarterback out of this era and we didn't get a Super Bowl from it. You don't want to do it, man. We still talk about Dan Marino in that light, you know, from Mm -hmm. way back. You know, he he only ever reached the one, you know, let alone getting getting multiple rings. And I mean, if you talk about uh, for that era, who would you rather have play quarterback? I would have traded 13 for 12 in a heartbeat. Um, oh my God! Yes, and and that's not any slight to Jim Kelly, uh, you know, on the field. It's just, again, you know, wait, talk about wasted talent. Um, you know, yeah, it, it doesn't break my heart because I'm not a Dolphins fan. But if I was a Dolphins fan, man, I'd I'd still be upset over over that. Man, you give Marino, Thurman Thomas, and <sighs> and Andre Reed. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Let's let's yeah. okay. <laughs> I, let's end on that because that's disgusting yeah. to think about. <laughs> right. Um. So why don't you plug your show if you have, or not your show. I'm so used to saying your show. Why don't you uh, go ahead and plug your content if you have any articles coming out um, that you want people yeah. to, to make sure they focus on or anything? So the big big thing this offseason, uh, Bill's Mafia, I've gone into a lot more video content uh, on the YouTube channel. I'm still developing some of that, so uh, work with me on the growing pains. But if you like the stats, the numbers on that, that's definitely the one to, to keep an eye on uh, as we go through. The offseason, I'm, as I mentioned, working on plays that define my annual kind of bracket to see which plays uh, illustrate each game best and eventually which one stands in for the season. And, uh, you know, analysis as it comes up, if we sign uh, Hopkins, I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, Matt Byam might be a little angry that I'm, I'm throwing out this, this secret, but I'm going to tell you right now, if, if for some reason we do land Hopkins, expect uh, an article up very quickly on what I think he looks like because it, it may or may not already be on the back burner. So all of those things as normal uh, that you're used to seeing me for. And um, just one last plug, I do tend to consider myself a bit of a mad scientist when it comes to uh, content creation. So if you're into the quirky, the weird, uh, you're definitely going to find something like, yeah, come find me on full rumbling. 
All right. So I tell you what, you just said if if we land Hopkins, you got something kind of if we land Hopkins, I'm going to just tell you, y'all probably don't want to listen to the show because I'm just going to ramble and scream about how great of a move and how awesome Brandon Bean is and how like I don't care what it takes to get him. If we get DeAndre Hopkins, code of conduct is probably not the content you want because it's not going to make sense. It's going to be a bunch of drunken, just loud celebration. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll throw a party with you. Let's do it. We get we can get everybody together. Just do it. Shots everywhere. Shots. Right. So, but listen, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you've been hanging with me, uh, Jay Spencer King, and my man Scarecrow. This has been the Code of Conduct. Please make sure you go to buffalorumlins.com. Find his content. Find all. Listen, it's great content. We have we have some of everything for everybody. Whatever you like, whatever your flavor is, we got it on buffalorumlins.com. Please check us out. Also, tomorrow, eight p.m. Join me, Sterling, and my man. Uh, Antoine Staley for the chop up. Man, it's, it's, I'm back in action. This is crazy. I'm right off of vacation, just jumping right back into it. Y'all know how I do it over here. Love each other, take care of each other, and live in peace. And as always, stay positive, test negative, go Bills. You can go Bills it. You got to go Bills it. I got to I gotta go. But I was just waiting for you, man. You're rolling. Go Bills. Yeah. Go Bills. <laughs> go Bills. Code of conduct.